Welcome to the Impact Multiplier CEO Podcast. If you're a chief executive or if you think like one and you want to create exponentially greater impact, then this show is for you. My name is Richard Medcalf, founder of Xquadrant. I coach some of the most successful and impressive CEOs and executive teams on the planet and help them achieve even more extraordinary results. Because no matter how successful you've been in the past, there's always a whole new level of impact available to you. So, if you're ready to play a bigger game than ever before, I invite you to join us and become an Impact Multiplier CEO. In today's show, I speak with Eric Martinson, who is the Chief Executive and the founder of Svea Solar. This is a Swedish-based solar panel company who's actually uh, grown uh, from a couple of students in 2013 to a nine-figure, 1,000-employee business, hitting number 164 in the Financial Times 1,000 list of fastest-growing companies. So they've created a huge success. But in fact, the business started really small and indeed was quite small, only operating in one market uh, until just a couple of years ago when they entered four markets simultaneously and that's really kick-started the international expansion uh, and the fact that they're really a rising force in the renewables world and in the energy world at large. So this is a really fantastic conversation with a really interesting entrepreneur. We talk about the scaling the organization versus scaling the company, uh, how to set right expectations when recruiting new employees, how you even find new employees in such a new and pioneering field as the one that Eric's in and how he keeps everybody focused on purpose uh, and on growth. Hi, Eric, and welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Hey, it's, it's great to have you today. I know you've, you've achieved extraordinary things over the last uh, eight, eight or nine years, I guess. You founded Svea Solar, I think, pretty much straight out of university. Yes. And now, you know, you have, you've got a thousand uh, employees. You're growing extremely fast. You've, you've made the uh, Financial Times 1000 list of the fastest growing companies um, in the world. And for me, more importantly, you're really somebody on a mission, right? What I, what I get about you is that you are trying to change the way the world you know, consumes electricity, solves some, the climate issues and so forth. So tell me a bit about that story. Um, we'll get into some of the, those secrets of scaling in a minute and like how you've been able to do that, how you've been able to create it. But let's go back to the why. Uh, what led you, what, what got you going on this journey and, and why is it important to you? I mean, basically, I've always been very interested in renewables and, and how we can sort of push the boundaries on taking away fossil fuels. Uh, and and uh, I mean, the way we're living today, I mean, that's, that needs to be done. And, and, and um, I was always wanted to work in that field. Uh, and I tried to get a job at Tesla a couple of times. So that didn't go very well. Uh, but me and Bjorn had founded Svea Solar. Um, we, um, we started together in Linköping uh, and um, we, we had different business ideas. We looked into wind and realized that one windmill was roughly 5 million euros and we didn't have that type of money. So we looked into solar and like everyone else, we thought that solar won't work in Sweden. Uh, uh, but then we started looking into the, the financials and, and how it works and realized that, yeah, it does work really well here as well. Uh, and then we started to, to work from there and now have scaled out the company into five countries and, and are, are, will, will over the next uh, four or five years um, cover 80% of, of Europe in terms of, of reach. Wow. So let me just pick up on a couple of those things there, Eric, already. First of all, there were these experiences which perhaps, you know, at the time were, that's so good, you know, you, you tried to apply for Tesla, 
didn't get there probably at the time it was like oh that would have been great and yet you know it, that failure was was the seeds of, of of huge success afterwards and then also this this point of just really pragmatically looking around the market and looking and you know this is too expensive we don't have the budget for this um so it's just interesting that iterative process of of looking around and exploring and then and then you talked about the, the scaling right so um five countries already i think you said it's about a thousand employees you said so and that was over eight years nine years yeah yeah eight and a half year okay and and and, and when just go back say halfway in that journey you know, were you at four countries halfway or were you still at one country? You know, often no, the growth no. can be quite different. Yeah, it's basically the first five years we were only in Sweden. So we became sort of the market leader there. And then uh, we actually did our first real fundraising uh, uh, 2020. So that wasn't that far away. So, right. uh, you know, we were profitable running the company uh, quite hard in, in Sweden. And then we sort of geared up to go into to, uh, more markets. So we went into four markets simultaneously. So um then also that was also during the pandemic so you can argue that the timing wasn't perfect so we actually went in uh, in in march april basically uh, and then sort of we, that that was when people were talking about basically um you know some some problems in china for logistics uh, and mm. that changed to something else basically uh, but but i mean now you know we're scaling up and, and growing really really well um and I think uh, by next year, uh, more than half of the employees will be outside of Sweden, um, basically. So, okay. so it's, a, it's a good growth in our countries. I mean, Germany, we, we went in and we're doing roughly, a, you know, just a couple of installations per, per month. And, and now we have basically, a, a, you know, went from number 3,000 installers, you know, in, in Germany to maybe top top five now in, in about one and a half years. So, you know, yeah. we've been growing quite quite well in Germany and, and are growing really well in Spain as well and, and also in Netherlands and Belgium. But but I think in, in general, so, I mean, our, our job is basically to scale as fast as possible uh, with, mm-hmm. with good quality and, and ensuring that we are, you know, getting everything aligned in the company. Yeah, so it sounds like there was this moment when you decided now is the time to to go big so it sounds like there was an ignition point which was probably around the fundraising but there was obviously a decision as well now is the time you want to actually raise the money and, and go for it what was the catalyst you know perhaps when you suddenly went you know what we can take this really big or was it always was it always the ambition it just took longer than you thought or was there a moment when you said okay actually this is this has got legs this has got potential i mean we we did do a quite steep sort of plan because when we were setting up the shop we were sort of like if we're going to do some difference to the world we need to scale uh but we were maybe a little bit limited on how we were thinking because we said yeah we're going to be the largest solar provider in sweden we will focus on that Mm. so so we did achieve that and then we sort of realized if we can in a very short period of time without any funding become the largest player in, in sweden so uh there's no sort of no one saying that why would we not be able to be the winner in europe and I mean, if we have a, a market share of roughly 25-30% in the Swedish market, um, which is the highest market share basically of any larger uh, European market, mm. uh, we realized so yeah, we have something really good going on here. So we started to look into and, and talk with some investors and, and, and they also pointed out that no one else has basically done this type of journey that, that we mm. are doing. So um, yeah, we started to look, yeah, I'm, I'm quite confident that we can sort of duplicate this and, and, and do it in a, in, a, in a maybe even easier environment. Because I mean, if you look, even if it works well with solar in Sweden, it's still easier to get the financials working in Spain, even nice. in Germany and other markets. Yeah. So we were trained in a quite harsh environment. So when we went into our customers, talking with our customers in Spain, and they were talking about, you know, five years payoff time, we had 10. Uh, nice. You know, it was like selling yeah, ice cream in Sahara. So it was super easy. Nice. Uh, so, so 
that's really, I mean, the way we have, you know, built a very lean machinery in Sweden helps us be very successful abroad where, where maybe competition mm-hmm. is a little bit spoiled in terms of how easy it is to sell, for example. Yeah, it's often the case as well when companies begin in a recession, they often become so lean because they've done it and they, when things get better, they scale. It's a, bit, it's a bit similar, it sounds, that you kind of had to really prove yourself out in Sweden and then expanding was easier. Uh, what was it about the way you operated, even when you were simply in Sweden, that made you successful? You know, if you look back, you know, what, what were the secrets of success in, in those early days? I think that there were a lot of, there are a lot of solar companies that raised a massive amount of money uh, and they just, you know, spent it on, on, on a lot of things and, and build up a lot of layers and so on. We were super lean. I mean, we were two students with student funding. We had basically zero cash. Mm. Uh, so we, uh, we built only the essentials, very, very, you know, specific. Uh, and, and that's been, I think, a, a key thing for us uh, that we are spending the money, I think, quite wisely. Uh, and uh, that that makes that you know every dollar we spend you know we get x amounts where, where our competition probably get half x on growth so that that's been good for us uh but also in terms of re- really understanding how we're building the organization quite early i mean we we started you know to run into problems when when me and bjorn were running the show and basically taking all the decisions ourselves and, and realizing we are limiting our growth of the company and you know really and you know empowering other leaders in the company quite early uh, and something that I think have been uh, instrumental to our our growth journey. Mm. How, how was that? Because a lot of founders struggle. And we were talking a bit earlier, a lot of managers struggle when, because they're often great at making decisions. They understand quite a lot about the context of the business and how it all fits together. And it can be hard to let go. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's super hot, tough. And, and we're not saying that we did very well. I mean, we actually did run into a lot of problems. Me and Bjorn was quite overworked. I mean, the more we grow, the more we had to do. Uh, and, and it was not scalable at all. And we worked a tremendous amount of hours. Uh, and, and we sort of just, you know, almost like, you know, the more we scale, the more work we get. To, this is like, this is not going to work. And we started to realize, so, so what are we going to do? And, and, you know, we didn't have any experience previously on, on how to structure any organization. So we started to really look into things. So how can we really make this scalable? Instead of just, you know, the, in the beginning, we said we're going to scale the company. And then we realized, no, we're going to scale the organization. It's a big difference. I mean, scaling the company, we looked at revenue, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, but scaling organization is basically, you know, working with leaderships, working with really talented people. And this is the reason why, you know, we started to sort of look into what is the key factors for us between a five to 10 years plan really achieve our goals. And we sort of realized, like, is it that we have the best product offer? Is that we have the best marketing? And like, yeah, all of those are super important. Right. But when it comes to the essence, it's how we can attract and how we can keep and develop the talent within the company. Those are the three top mm. priorities of the entire company. So we started to really think about this in another type of way that a lot of companies are doing, especially sort of in the installation uh, sort of uh, industry. So like really get good people out there. And that's why we have, you know, we have evolved this idea over time. And, uh, and at the moment right now, you know, since uh, February, we actually have our HR officer, Hannah Manberg, at the very top of the company together with me running the management team. Mm. So like really focusing on the HR questions in a way that I think very few companies are doing. I mean, a lot of people are always talking about, yeah, we'll take care of our employees, uh, but it doesn't really show in how they put their management team together or how they put mm-hmm. their structure in the organization. So we have really tried to work on that. And, and you know, also to scale culture. I mean, we have um, you know, really focused on how can we build a culture that's scalable with you know, really being clear and transparent on how we deal with 
with certain things at Svea and, and what our sort of words uh, mean to us and, 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 and what we're trying to do as leaders and, and mm. talk a lot about, you know, how can we empower our leaders and, and, and really get from sort of talking points to actions. And, and I think that have been quite successful for us. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, so first of all, yeah, I love it. I've just, been, I've just spent two days myself working with the senior HR leadership team of um, of a you know, large billion, you know, multiple billion dollar company. And, and they do have the ear of the CEO. You know, the CEO introduced me to that team, you know, wants to, to develop it. And, and yet what they're experiencing in terms of not necessarily the CEO, but the other parts of the business, you know, is... Yeah, that it's seen HO is still seen as a bit of a, a nice to have. And yeah, it's in the middle of a, the tech sector where there's a war for talent, where, you know, and actually it's a services business. And so people are actually everything. And yet not every company really deeply walks the talk around that. So I'm curious, like what did how did you make those things real in your business? Because everyone can kind of say, you just said the things that you're saying. So how did you kind of you know, how did you have to invest yourself or your time or, or your focus? First of all, uh, you know, it's very important to understand that HR is <clears throat> commercial critical, not a benefit for employees. So, mm. um, you know, I got the question at one seminar because we were talking about HR things and, and, and we were there to talk about how we we're doing this setup and, and how we're working with it and so on. And I got one question so, uh, from, from the audience. It's like, so how do I get my CEO to talk more about, you know, HR stuff instead of just profits? And, and, and why, why can't we have, you know, some money more spent on HR instead of getting just higher profits every year? And I said, you, have, you need to change that completely around. I said, why don't your CEO spend more on HR questions to get higher profits? Mm. I mean, it's okay. not the other way around. So first of all, you need to understand as an organization that it's not a trade-off. You know, if you can really align the organization, it's a fantastic boost for all your KPIs. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, you'll get more out of your employees. They will be happier. They will stay longer. They will, you know, be more empowered. They will get, you know, all of that. So creating that culture is, is not only like good for the company, it's critical. Uh, especially yeah. if you want to have a, a high growth base. I mean, yeah, if you're not going to grow anything with a company, maybe you can have a, a decent company that that's okay. But every company with, with more HR folks, I would argue, would do better. Uh, but, yeah. you know, so how do you then go from sort of those words to action? I think that, you know, it's like, you know, if someone asks like, so what, what are you spending your time on? I mean, usually what you do is, you know, if you really want to do what, look what people are spending your time on, you bring up the calendar, basically. So, yeah. so what meetings do you have, what you're doing, you know, basically. So, you know, just showing the org chart, I think, uh, shows a little bit. So where do you put your HR um, people? How do they work? And what kind of forums are they in? What kind of mandate do they have? Uh, and that is, I think, uh, one way to start. But it's super important. I think this is um, where a lot of companies go wrong. It's basically just taking a regular HR person that are not thinking in a commercial way, saying that they should get yeah. more power. Because what they right. the first thing they're going to do is just raise benefits and, 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 and like not think about... So is this holistically the good thing for the company? And, and, it, and it's not necessarily always nice things you need to do. It's really being, you know, true to the company and, and the employees. What is the best fit? And it's also about, you know, being very you know, targeted. What type of culture do you want to have and bringing that type of people? So being very consistent in recruiting, yeah. being very transparent. I mean, um, when you're recruiting people, uh, one, one mistake that I think a lot of people are doing is that they really want the candidates so the bad. So they will basically say anything to the candidate about what, what the company is doing and, and they promise anything in, 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 in an mm. interview. I can be quite transparent and say, this is the problem we have. You, you're here to fix that problem. If you think that's exciting, you're more than happy to come here. But if you are looking for you know, things that are done and in structure and, and you know, that are super easy or, or already set, 
this is not the type of company you want to come in. Here's a company where you can be challenged. You can really, you know, change the world in a good way, uh, but it's going to require quite hard work. Uh, and a lot of people are, are really, you know, uh, inspired by that, but not everyone. But if you're inspired mm. and you think that, you know, I want to be part of, you know, this power shift, as we call it, by taking away fossil fuels completely, uh, th- then you would really, you know, fit our culture. But, but it means that, you know, you're not coming to a set table. You will be part of setting the table, basically. Hi, this is Richard. I hope you're enjoying this conversation. This is just a quick interlude to tell you about my book, Making Time for Strategy, which is being released in January 2023. It deals with perhaps the number one challenge I've come across in my coaching work with top executives, how to get out of the weeds of operations and make time for the high impact strategic work that will lead to breakthrough results. If you're serious about multiplying your impact, you do need to elevate your use of time. So I highly recommend that you head over to makingtimeforstrategy.com where you can find out more about the book and download some free chapters. Now, back to the conversation. Yeah, I love it. There's some really great points there. First of all, that real reality check of looking at the organizational chart and just said being... Yeah, being honest, so having the hard conversation now about what's going to happen rather than trying to have it afterwards when people are more committed or like they're, yeah, they're in and they've got their paycheck and everything else. And, and I think this point about for HR leaders translating what they do to business language, I just see it all the time. In fact, with this group that I was working with, I was like, you know, you, you, could, you will not sell what you're talking about in this room outside the organisation until you do what you said, right? Until you say you know, this is the issue we're solving. It's like, we're not, not going with the, I don't know, employee value proposition, right? That, who cares, right? They don't, they don't, nobody cares about that. They care what that provides. It provides clarity. It provides, you know, it allows you to attract more the right people to the business. It allows you to retain people and so forth. And I think when you have that conversation, then people get interested. So, um, yeah, so I think this is great. So, so, so tell me a bit about what, what's, what, what's been your learning as you've expanded, obviously in the last, two or three years you've expanded into five into perhaps four countries so what's been the biggest challenge there that you've had to overcome i think i mean um not being able to work like at, at the very you know you see problems in an organization that you want to fix right away you know uh it's kind of you know it will take your your sort of enthusiasm away from from a lot of colleagues and leaders if you go in and solve problems that you see can be fixed right away sometimes it's better that the problem takes longer time to solve uh, get solved uh, if you have but have the right people solve it and you train the organization to solve problems in the future because in the beginning of the, the journey even if we were sort of getting leaders you know to, to train leaders to, to to lead other people uh, me and Bjorn were still running around and fixing a lot of problems that I think cost a little bit of, of, of so inertia in terms of what's happening within the organization so I think that you know really understanding that when you're handing a task to a team uh, you're there to support the team, not to, to to solve the task for them. I think that's super crucial. And, and it's still hard for me sometimes to do that. And, and I struggle with it every day. Because if you're an entrepreneur, you want to go forward, you want to solve the problems, and that's what you're usually good at. Yeah. But you need to really constantly think about what happens, what, what's the trade-off <laughs> if you solve this task maybe a week earlier? I mean, yes, you will get a week faster on that problem, but you might end up at you know losing yeah. out both talents, but also enthusiasm and, and maybe the, the decision wasn't even better so yeah, yeah. it's really about because you're, you're hiring experts right to, to solve tasks if you, and if you come in and solve them for for them it's basically you're gonna make them feel un, un, 
uninspired, it's going to make them be less likely to, to work hard for you in the future and solve an even more complex problem. But it's also going to um, yeah, create, create that the, the organization is stalling. So I think those, those are the, one, the, the number one learnings or that, that sort of to work on really ensuring that you get the top talents in that you need and get them to sort of really build their own organizations in, in part of the company and, and solve the problems by themselves. Obviously, uh, you know, in, in tune with the rest of the organization. And my job then really becomes to sort of get uh, the organization in tune rather than, than doing any tasks, basically. And, and that's very far from actually installing the panels yourself on the roof. So, I mean, uh, um, yeah. I think that both me and Bjorn have developed quite a lot as leaders uh, during the, the eight and a half years of the company's time. Yeah, uh, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah, and, and what's exciting about these journeys is that it's, it's never ending, right? There's always new things to learn, and and uh, and once you get, you know, once you break out of one comfort zone into another area, then there's another area always available. Um, yeah, I love this point around thinking the second order consequences of the decisions you make in the moment. I often say to leaders, you've got a choice: you go fast now, or you build momentum, right? You build the capability of the organization. And the temptation is always to go fast now and just get it done. But as you said, the second order consequences. People become even more dependent on me. They lose, they lose motivation. And probably as a result, I feel even, even more strongly that I need to solve all the problems because I'm not seeing the energy around me anymore. <laughs> so yeah. it, it can become a vicious circle. Let's uh, switch gear, Eric, um, for the sake of time here. I've got a couple of quick fire questions I'd like to ask uh, um, guests uh, to find out a bit about who uh, or who or what um, has helped structure their own leadership thinking. What's a favorite quote that... Uh, that you live by or that you're always telling the people around you or that it inspires you? Oh, that's a very tough one. But but I would say that, you know, um, I mean, think different, which is sort of uh, uh, maybe more more of another company's quote. But I mean, I think really, uh, you know, doing that, uh, you know, inspires good innovation. I think that's, you know, you need to really, you know, what is the best way of solving something? I think that, that you know, that quote takes it down uh, to basically, you know, don't just take it for granted. You know, everyone else has done it this way. Well, can mm. we do it in a better way? Yeah, yeah, nice. And what about a, a book, a book that's really inspired you or influenced you, perhaps, the way you operate? Well, I think that, you know, Bill Gates had, had a, you know, wrote a book about climate change that I think is very, very good. I mean, and, and, and I would, would maybe not say that that was completely game changer for me, but it's a very good structured book that I think have breaking down the problem in a good way that can be very sort of easy to, to for myself and others to, to sort of get into and really sort of look at, you know, if you, you sort of break it down, you know, what do you need to do to, to fix the climate crisis? You realize that sort of energy is, is the, maybe the major uh, problem here. And, and uh, I'm happy to, to keep working on solving that together with, with other great people. Yeah. And actually, I would just honor you at this point. You know, thank you for working on these topics. They are genuinely important for our world, right? And um, it's exciting to see people who are all in and making it happen. So thank you for that. What about uh, advice? You know, what advice would you you know, if you were to go back and talk to yourself at the start of this journey, you know, perhaps your 20 year old self, you know, what advice would you have given him? I think there's a couple of things. I, I mean, I'm, I'm still a very impatient person in many ways, but I mean, uh, being a little bit more calm, meaning that, you know, not that run sort of slower, but, you know, be more consistent saying that, like, if you have a small problem, it can be sort of the whole world for you right now. But mm. if you look at your problems that you have right now and think about that in like, three, five years time for the company and yourself, 
is those problems that big? Usually they are not. And, and don't get too stressed about small problems that you can, can sort of just, you know, calmly fix and, and be more focused on the long-term agenda. You know, mm. going back to what we said there with, you know, you know, empowering leaders and all of that, you know, really build long-term. Uh, I think that, that, you know, we have tried to do that, but I think we could have been more calm, be more sort of, you know, always looking at the long target rather than you know, solving, you know, problems quickly and, and, and be very, very nervous about things that doesn't really matter. I think that that's, that is uh, something that I try to work on a lot today. When, when you see something that you get really annoyed about or, or takes a lot of your energy or stress, um, then really think about, is this really that bad? And usually the, the answer is no. Yeah. 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 It's great. So yeah, so often we get consumed by these short term yeah. issues and actually zoom forward a month, six months. We can't really exactly. remember I, it. It's really, if you think about it, I mean, will this long-term hurt mm. myself any colleagues or the company mm-hmm. uh and the answer is usually no uh, uh but but i mean obviously if it's yes then you should worry about it and you should fix it right away but but yeah. more normally i mean if you can spend less energy on, on sort of uh, day-to-day problems that that really aren't moving the needle uh you can then start to think long term especially as the ceo of the company i mean your job is not to work on day-to-day operations all the time it's also to really align the company as i mentioned before also get everyone else in the management team in, and in the company to work together and fine-tune the company and also you know attract talent and so on uh, but i think you know having that mindset that you always you know remind yourself is this that bad right now and and the answer is very very uh, uh yeah. often no it's not that bad yeah. perfect so Eric, many of our best guests come on, on the show actually come from referrals. So I always love to ask people, you know, who's somebody who inspires you, right? Who's an impactful CEO, you know, who perhaps you've dealt with, you know, you've, you've encountered in your, in your own life or business, you know, who would be a great guest for this kind of show? You know, who, who comes to mind? Who inspires you? I think that, I mean, if you look at uh, great startups in the renewables, I mean, uh, there's, there's very, you know, there's some really great entrepreneurs out there and, and, uh, uh, I mean, I used to, to try to get a job at uh, Tesla a couple of times, obviously. So there's some, uh, you know, really good people and some people that work there. And, uh, you know, Peter Carlson that now uh, started Northwold a couple of years ago that are now building up the largest battery factory in, in Europe. Uh, they're doing a fantastic job. And I think that's really, you know, pushing the boundaries. So so I think that, uh, uh, you know, listening to Peter would be, be fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And what inspires you about, about him? I think that... Um, you know, the, the idea of thinking really big, you know, changing an industry from, from, you know, basically, you know, everyone said that there's basically not going to be any battery factories in, in Europe and in China and US have, you know, they're, they're taking that market. And I think that, you know, by just showcasing that, you know, you can build a uh, massive battery factory up in the north of Sweden have, you know, attracted a lot of capital to that area. And, and now you see a lot of other, you know, battery factories being, being uh, started up in, in all over Europe. So I think, you know, I think it's inspiring to take an industry from basically zero to, to 100% in a couple of years' time. It's, it's super impressive. Yeah. yeah, thank you. So no matter what we've achieved, there's always the next level. So I'm always you know, curious to know, you know what's, uh, where do you go from here, from here as a business? Where does Feya Sura go? go you know, obviously, you've achieved a lot. You're, you're in five markets. I know you said you wanted to expand more into Europe. You know, what, what, what's the next couple of years got in store for you, do you think? I think that, I mean, now we are 1,000 employees and our goal is to reach 5,000 employees in the upcoming four years. So quite, quite a steep scale up. But I mean, there is no boundaries on what we can do. I think that in 10 years time, I think it's doable that we as a company are, are eliminating uh, um, 
as much CO2 emissions that the entire country of Sweden is emitting every year. So I think that's a, a, a target that we're trying to work for uh, as, as a starting point. But I think, you know, what I think is inspiring and you know, going back to sort of the sort of potential for solar, I believe long term that solar will stand for roughly 70 to 75 percent of all the world's energy. And, and if you sort of go back to uh, sort of break it down, I mean, industry, uh, energy and transportation is basically somewhere around roughly 80 percent of all the um, CO2 emissions. If, if you electrify all of, the, all of those and, and then you say that roughly 70-35% of that energy will come from solar, you could argue that solar would offset roughly half of all the CO2 emissions in the world. And I think just working on that is super inspiring by itself. And that's why, you know, going back to our company, the faster we can scale, the more sort of CO2 emissions we can eliminate. So that's why, you know, scaling is in our DNA. I mean, we have start, yeah. set up the company to scale and we will keep pushing the boundaries on what we can do and how fast we can scale the company. Yeah, beautiful. And what do you need to do personally to multiply your impact, Eric? What's, what's your next level? What's the stretch in all this for you? I think you need to be very humble and understand that, I mean, you, you as a CEO and founder can be a great asset to a company, but also a great liability if you're not evolving with a company. So uh, it's you know, a constant learning process and, and, and um, it's my job to be able to cope with the growth as a company. And, and if I can't do that, someone else will need to take over the, that role. Yeah, well, it's going to be an interesting journey ahead. Um, and it's really exciting to uh, to hear a little bit about it, Eric. So thank you so much for you know, taking some time. Um, you're somebody with a mission, and I really, truly respect that. Um, I always get inspired when people are out there literally trying to change the world, and I think you are. So thank you for showing some of the journey and some of the really pra- practical and pragmatic um, lessons right along along the way about how you actually create this, this great distinction that you shared, I think, which is they're just scale the company but scale the organization right and actually you need to build that that organization that can multiply as the business grows so i think some fascinating learnings for me today so thank you eric and i uh, look forward to um hearing how the story evolves thank you very much appreciate for being on okay goodbye i hope you enjoyed this conversation now let's talk about you when you're in top leadership when you're in the biggest role of your career who supports you at a deep level as you lead others? Who helps you multiply your impact and get to the next level? If you're ready to learn more about our content, our coaching and our community, then visit us at xquadrant.com.